Welcome those of you that are joining us online, those who are in our overflow area. We're glad that you're with us for week number five of our study of the names of God. Now, we're calling this study Divine Selfies. We all know what a selfie is. We take a picture of ourselves, we post it up on social media so that other people can see us. Uh, Divine Selfies is all about God taking pictures of himself, posting those in scripture, but the images aren't in terms of a photograph. The images of the Lord come through his divine names. Each of his names gives us revelation into who he is. There's 80 plus, one God, but 80 plus different names used of the Lord across the Bible. Uh, the last few weeks, we have clarified that there's three primary or foundational names for the Lord. Those are Elohim, Adonai, and the one we looked at last week, Yahweh. Elohim is the Genesis 1-1 name for the Lord, that in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And that gives us a, a picture into the power of God, that he could create everything out of nothing. Adonai is the word for the Lord. It means our master. He is the supreme king of the universe. He is the one who is in charge. And then Yahweh that we studied last week is really a look into God's personal intent with our lives. This is his relational name. This is the name that he said, I want every generation in every culture, every age to know. I want you to know the name Yahweh and what it represents. Now, many times we call that name Yahweh the I am. That's because the Hebrew word for Yahweh means to be, to exist. And so I am becomes this statement of eternal existence. Now, we said last week this is far more than just a statement about his duration. The I am, he forever exists in a form that is complete and changeless and close. In fact, theologians tell us that probably the primary aim of God giving us this name of Yahweh is to let us know how close God is to his beloved creation. So three primary or foundational names for the Lord. Each of those names can be combined with other words to create new names that are revealed in Scripture. And so we've seen that in each of these columns. Today we're going to take a look at Yahweh and its combination with the word Jireh. Now we're going to use the name Jehovah because that's the English form of Yahweh, and that's the way most of us have heard these names presented. So we're going to talk about Jehovah, Jireh today. Jehovah, that's the one who's complete, constant, forever close. When you take that revelation and add it to the Hebrew word Jireh, which means to see. In fact, it's to see things out in front of you, see things beforehand. It's to see things with an intent of providing for what you see. So the one who is forever close and constant, he sees things and then he provides what he sees. So Jehovah Jireh together is the Lord who sees and provides. The Lord who sees and the Lord who will provide. Let's take a look at this. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. If you don't have your Bible with you, we'll put the verses on the screen. Genesis 22 verses 1 through 19. 
Now we're going to do something a little different in the fact that we are going to read the last verse in the section first. Okay? So go to verse 19 before verse 1, and let's read what it says. It says, Then they returned to the servants, traveled back to Beersheba. Notice the comma. There's a pause there. They traveled back to Beersheba. Pause. Last phrase. Where Abraham continued to live. Now it's possible for us to read that last phrase where Abraham continued to live in a way that we just kind of hurry the moment and we interpret that like he went back to the place where he's from and they just kind of resumed his life. So he went back just kind of kept on living. He continued living. If we read it that way, then it's a misread of what was intended to be communicated. That last phrase is meant to say to us that he went back to the same place he was from, but he was never the same again. He continued living. He kept walking out what he had learned. He was marked by something. There was a moment that happens in his life, and he's like never the same. And when he went back to the same place where he was from, he just kept thinking about it. He continued to live. He kept processing this impact that was made on his life. So what was such a dramatic impact that it just caused him to redefine how he lived? Well, let's look at that. Look at verse 1. It says, sometime later. Notice that, sometime later. The time here in reference is to after the birth of Isaac. Isaac was the son promised to Abraham and Sarah. He was born to them in their old age. They were 190, respectively, when Isaac was born. So we could call him a miracle baby, couldn't we? A 100-year-old and a 90-year-old having a baby. That's a miracle baby. Uh, I've got three older sisters, and there's a time gap between my sisters and me. In fact, my parents were told after my three sisters were born, like, you're not going to be able to have any more children. Thirteen years later, after my first sister was born, boom, there I am. My mom used to say, you're my miracle baby. Really, what she was saying is, you're the oops baby. Nobody saw you coming. Well, Isaac's not an oops baby. He genuinely is a son of a promise. They were waiting 25 years for that promise, and God made a way for that miracle to be born. So after that time, the birth of this miracle child, Isaac, look at the next words. God tested Abraham's faith. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you know that building up your faith in your life is going to take some tests? If you're going to be more than a one and done, just like having faith today and then you're done with it, if you're going to have a life of faith, if you're going to walk with God, then you better know that there's going to be tests to your faith. And each of those tests, they, they, they give us a sense of clarity about where we are in our walk with the Lord. It's like they're windows into our soul, and we can see, like, are we happy with where the test shows us where we are in our faith life, or is it revealing some gaps 
that maybe we need to close in our faith life. You're always going to have some test. Abraham is called in the Bible the father of the faith. Like he's the father of the faith. It calls him that because he earned that reputation of being a person who knew how to pursue a right relationship with God. And a right relationship with God is always going to mean that you're in a position of trusting him, depending on him. And as you trust in the Lord and you depend on the Lord, that faith is going to be tested. Sometimes we say this little cliche to one another, a faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. Like your, your faith has to get tested to get trusted. How many of you want to take a ride on an airplane this afternoon that's never been tested? Or you want to step onto an elevator and go up to the 50th floor and it's never been tested? Like you don't want to do that. You don't want to put your trust in something that's not tested. Well, God wants our faith to be tested so that we know, we know that in the future when we go through hard things, we've got enough trust in the Lord that we can make it through. Now, there's a pattern that's going to be evidenced in this passage that you should know about if you want to walk with God. That pattern is this. There's a, a promise made, then there's a problem, and then there's provision. Like a, a, a faith walk is always going to find like this rhythm, God makes promises, then there's a problem, there's a test, and then there is provision. God makes promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you. God makes promises like, give and it shall be given to you. Press down, shaken together, running over. There's a promise given to you like, in your weakness, God will be your strength. He makes promises to us, but he follows his promises with a problem that's going to test our trust. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that if we give, God is going to bless in return? Do we really believe that if we confess our weakness and we own our weakness, that God is going to be our strength? Like, Do you really believe that there's going to be a promise, a problem, and then there comes provision. The problem, again, it exposes our trust. Do we really trust in the Lord? Promise, problem, provision. That's the rhythm of a faith walk. So verse 2, Abraham, the father of faith, is now going to have his faith tested. Look at verse 2. Take your son... Your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him. You read that right. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, there's no question here. This particular test of faith is extreme. In fact, we could say it's unusual. Never before or after did God say anything like that to someone. It's an unusual test meant to flush out into the open like the faith of an unusual person, Abraham. Now, the result of this test, like everybody else, it's going to reveal to every person who's looking on and who's ever read Abraham's story, it's going to reveal his complete trust in the Lord. 
And I want you to know that as you think about the disturbing details of this passage, God was never after the life of Isaac. He was just after Abraham's heart. In fact, that's what God wants for all of us. Like in the testing of our faith, it's to see where is your heart? Like does your heart depend and trust in the Lord? Proverbs 23, 26 says, give me your heart. That's the Lord talking. Give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my ways. That's what God is after. He's after our heart. And so all of these trust tests are just seeing where is your heart. For Abraham, this was an excessive test. I mean, like, wow, sacrifice my son. Now, let's be clear about this. When Abraham heard the voice of the Lord, like he heard, listen, the audible voice of God. Before the Bible was written and we had a written record of God's word, God would speak to people audibly so that they would be clear about who's talking to them and what he's asking of them. So sometimes when we talk about, man, the Lord told me, what we really mean by that is we had an impression. Like, I have this impression, I have this thought, and I think it's the Lord. And some people say, the Lord told us. Abraham did not have the impression that he was supposed to go sacrifice his son. Neither did he hear voices in his head. Like every serial killer that you watch them, anything about, like they hear voices in their head. That was not him. Like, God spoke to him audibly and clearly and gave him this test that was unusual. And extreme. Now, let me say to you if Abraham is able to pass this extreme, unusual test, then it gives all of us hope that we can find our way forward in our faith facing much lesser tests. Now, when I say lesser tests, I don't mean trivial. Like, our tests aren't trivial. We all have our own Isaacs. It may not be a child's life, but the testing of our faith will require like challenging things for us. It's going to be a crisis of faith. Our problem, our test creates a crisis of faith. Will you really trust in the Lord? Now, the test may be God's way of speaking into a relationship in our life. And God gives direction for a relationship. Everything in us is saying yes, but God is saying no. Will you trust him? Or maybe God is mapping out a whole new career path for you when you didn't want or expect a new job. Will you trust the Lord? Will you trust the Lord whenever he puts on your heart to give something so generous that it hurts? Like, will you trust him? Will you depend on him? All of these Test of faith are seeing if we will trust the Lord. Now, one more little observation before we read further, and that is the place where Abraham is going to be tested. God tells him to go to the land of Moriah. Go to the land of Moriah on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Moriah was the name of a range of hills in the central part of modern-day Israel where we would call Jerusalem. When Abraham is living in Beersheba, he's called by God to take his son all the way 
to here, Moriah. And again, it's a mountainous area. You can see from this topographical picture all the different elements of, of elevated terrain. Mount Zion, but here is Mount Moriah. Now, as you go down the southern slopes of Moriah, after the time of Abraham, there's a group of people who will start living at the base of Mount Moriah. They're Jebusite people. They name the city Jebus. David will take occupation of Jebus and rename the town Jerusalem, and he will make it the capital. David will even take his own money and purchase the land on top of Mount Moriah and reserve it, set it apart so that the temple can be built there. Second Chronicles chapter 3 tells us that Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. That temple is torn down, it's rebuilt, it's torn down again, and ultimately... There's a mosque today built on the site of this holy place where Abraham goes to offer his son. It's called the Dome of the Rock Mosque. I'm sure you've seen that if you've seen a picture of Jerusalem. That's the site. It marks the place where Abraham's faith was tested, Moriah. Now, the word Moriah is a combination of two Hebrew words, the Raya is the root word raya, meaning to see. Some of you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about el roi. Roi is a personal possessive form of raya. And so it means to see, to look out in front. It can actually be used to talk about prophecies. Raya can mean a prophecy, a vision, something that you see in front of you. Raya can also talk about insight that's gained from experience. Raya. Then you take the mo part of it, the mo Moriah, that's the same Hebrew word for myrrh. And it means um, a drop or to distill something, to refine it down to its smallest concentration. So I want you to see that God picks a place on purpose where he tests Abraham. It is a place that meant to reveal something to experience something, to distill something down to its very essence, Moriah. Genesis 22, verses 3 through 5, we see Abraham's response to the test. Notice how deliberate and decisive he is. Verse 3, the next morning Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we'll come right back to you. Notice in the terminology, like the, the urgency. He got up early. He saddled his donkey. He chopped the wood traveled for three days. Those are all things that would take a lot of effort, but can you imagine doing those things with a broken heart? Like every one of them, his heart was heavy. But it shows you like his determination to pass the test. Even the little things. We haven't gotten to the big thing yet. 
But all these other things are little things that like lead up to the test. You've got to remember whenever you're going to take one of God's tests for your faith, there's a big thing probably, but there's a lot of little things along the way. Be faithful in all the little things. Verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. While he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Look at verse 8. God will provide, that's Jireh, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. Now, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to assume that this is a painful, lonely walk. And a lot of times with faith tests, there's a path we have to take that is painful and it can be lonely. So I want to say to you as a faith family, one of our goals as a church is to walk with you when you are going through seasons of testing, we want to walk with you. How do we do that? Well, there are times when we invite people to join small groups. A couple times a year, we urge you to join a group. A small group is a place where we know you can get surrounded by people who will walk with you through your test. Sometimes we say it's not a good time... When you're in a test, it's not a good time to find your friends. The best time to find your friends is before you're going through a test. And so we'll urge people to find a small group because that's one of our ways of walking with people when they go through a season of difficulty. Our prayer time that we do during the service, that's not a perfunctory religious exercise. Like, well, we got to do that because it's church, so we should pray for people. Like, that's not what we're doing That We want to walk with you. We want to be there with you during your times of testing. We have pastoral team members who are here to serve you, to walk alongside you, but you've got to kind of open your heart up and let us join you in your journey and your path of following the Lord. Now, verse 9 says, When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar... And arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10, Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Verse 11 says, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called from heaven. Now let me make a little comment here. When you see in the Old Testament that description, the angel of the Lord... Most scholars say that what the angel of the Lord is, is a Christophany. It's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament before the incarnation. It'd be a great exercise for you if you want to study on your own. Just look up all the references to the angel of the Lord and you'll see like the angel does things only God can do. So this is a, a Christophany. This is Jesus who is the eternal son showing up before he takes on flesh and dwells among us. And so Jesus said, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. 
Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know. Will you please look at those words again? For now I know that you truly fear God, that your heart is reverent for the Lord. Your heart fully belongs to God. Now I know you've not withheld your son, even your only son from me. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Now verse 14, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. In other words, this lesson that's learned from this revelation, from this selfie, from this name of the Lord, has impacted every person who's ever heard this story. It impacted Abraham, and he continued to walk out this truth in his life, but it impacts us. This is a proverb, a lesson, a truth for all of us that on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God will provide. Verses 15 through 18. Repeat all the promises that God had made to Abraham previously. Like, I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants. Through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. So all these promises that God had made Abraham before are now emerging as provision. So remember the rhythm. There's promise, there's problem, and then there's provision. Moriah is the place where God sees, experiences, and provides. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want you to learn this proverb. I want you to learn this truth. I want you to learn this principle that God will provide. I want you to mark your life with it. I want you to remember it so that the next time you're in a season of testing, instead of squirming and whining and moaning and posting on the Facebook for everybody, instead of doing the things that we do, I want you to declare over your life in faith, Jehovah Jireh. Like I know the truth, God will provide. This is what I'm going to stand on. This is the proverb. This is the lesson that's now going to mark my life. God will provide. Let me give you three encouragement to take away with you just how to remember the name of Jehovah Jireh. First of all, Jehovah Jireh will provide. He will. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God will provide because that's who he is. He's a provider. During the test of our faith, it's important for you that you affirm the truth of who God is in your life. When you feel yourself being tested, when promises are being challenged, when problems emerge, when tests happen, find in your mouth like the word, the name of the Lord, Jehovah Jireh. He will provide. That's who he is. He is faithful. Remember that. Secondly, not only will he provide, but he's able to provide. God will provide because he's able to provide. People make us promises and then they fail on the promises, don't they? They come up short. 
But hey, we got mercy for that because all of us have failed a promise or two. Amen? We've all kind of said things like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then maybe you don't have the resources or the character yet to pull that off. Like we know what that's like. But God never, like never over promises and under delivers. He just promises and then he delivers because that's who he is. He will provide and he's able to provide. He sees, remember Jireh, he sees and he provides. Now, here's a really, really cool thing about this particular day that we've read about in the Bible. Is not only did God see something and was able to provide, God let Abraham see God's ability to provide. When he has his son on the wood, he raises the knife and then the voice speaks, Stop! Jesus, when he was on earth, gave us a little revelation into what happened in that moment. In John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus said this. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. In a way that's a little mysterious for us to comprehend, like almost like God opened a portal and allowed Abraham to see with his eyes a provision that God was making himself for us, God's ability to provide. But that wasn't just any other sheep or ram. What Abraham could see on that particular day when he's raising up the knife to kill his son, God allowed him supernaturally to see down through the years and see on a neighboring mountain, not Mount Moriah, but Mount Calvary, Jesus offering himself as the sacrifice for our sin. That day, Abraham saw what God could provide. That Jesus himself offered his life as a sacrifice for our sin. And God fully accepted the sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. He's raised from the dead as evidence that God gives us forgiveness, but also the potential for a new life. Abraham saw that day what God could do to meet a need. And let me ask you this. If he could see forward what God would provide and it built a confidence and faith in him, how much more should we have confidence and faith of the Lord? Because we don't look forward, guys. We get to look back. And you get to see what God has done for you. If he could provide a home in heaven for you, if he could forgive you of every sin, what else could he not do for you? So when you have a need, Jehovah Jireh, like God will provide and God is able to provide. I, I know it because he's provided for my salvation in Jesus. My trust is completely in him. He will and he can provide. Here's the third thing I want you to get from Jehovah Jireh. Take it with you. Learn the proverb. Let your life be marked by that. And that is this. Jehovah Jireh wants to experience your trust. Man, I hope you never forget this. God will provide. He can provide. But learn from Jehovah Jireh that he wants to experience your trust. Look at verse 12. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You're a good Bible-believing Christian. 
Doesn't God know everything? One of the omni words, omnipresent, you know, omnipotent, all powerful. One of the omni words we use to describe God is omniscient. Like he knows everything. And indeed, with God's foreknowledge, he can look forward and he can see anything and everything. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 139 that God knows your thoughts before you even form them. Like God knows. But I want to say to you, there's a difference in knowing and experiencing something. I'm I'm sad to have to confess this. But my wife from time to time will say to me, I know that you love me. Like, I know that you love me. But sometimes I don't feel your love. I know you love me, but sometimes I'm like, I'm not experiencing your love in this moment. It feels me a little empty. I don't know if that is exactly the same, but it speaks to me. It gives me a way of understanding the fact that the Lord, listen, he knows everything. But it's not until trust is offered that God experiences your trust. The word know is an intimate word. Abraham knew Sarah. That wasn't like, what's up? It's an intimate knowledge. He knew her. The angel of the Lord says, now I know. Now I'm experiencing the trust that you're offering. And God wants to experience the trust you have to offer. Does he know where your heart is? Does he know that you love him? Does he know that you trust him? Does he know that you believe him? Of course he does. But the Lord desires, listen to me, to experience your trust. Jehovah Jireh can provide and he will provide, but he wants to experience your trust. Stand with me. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 says that the Lord inhabits the praise of his people. Inhabit means he's, he's with them. So when we worship the Lord, when we praise the Lord, like he inhabits, he participates in our worship. And sometimes when we gather together and we sing songs, like our minds are in different places and we're not really thinking about things. We're just, we're just kind of singing the words on the screen. But there's also moments whenever we are taking the opportunity to heart and we're leveraging like the songs that we are singing so that we can declare our heart to the Lord. And it's in those moments, listen, that he experiences your trust. And remember, Jehovah Jireh, he's, he's awesome. He, he sees and he provides, but he also desires to experience your trust. Why would you deny him his desire?